Hey guys, welcome back. I'm your host, Jaboy Brian Hood, and just wanted to get you guys updated on a few things before we jump into this episode. So, number one, and I don't want to harp on things that you guys have already heard quite a bit, but it's the end of the world. Sorry, just wanted to let you know. No, I'm I'm just messing around. Uh, so there is this virus going on, all that kind of stuff. You guys know all about that. Um, I was just going to touch on the impact it's had with us uh, as of recently. Now, number one, I'll say, and this isn't the most important, but you know, more ties in with the show and what what we do. Uh, so yeah. Pretty much everything's been shut down. Any kind of social event or gathering, you know, gathering more than, you know, I think at first it was like 250 people, then it was like 100 people, then 50 people, and now basically if you're standing closer than six, uh, closer than six feet away from someone, then you are doing it wrong. So yeah, it's, it's a good time for antisocial people. People that don't like to be around other people. Like Howie Mandel is probably loving it. Not really the fact that everyone's getting sick and everything, but the fact that people are staying away from him. He probably enjoys that. But yeah, so that's the first thing. So it goes without saying that pretty much all comedy is just donezo, you know, for the time being. Because obviously that's a social gathering. And in fact, I was telling, uh, I was talking to somebody about it the other day. In fact, when it comes to comedy... Part of what makes comedy work is the way that they set the atmosphere. Uh, it is low lighting, low ceilings, uh, being in close proximity to other people. That's all about, you know, That's that helps with, with getting people's kind of um, inhibitions lowered to where they're more likely to laugh. And then when they're closer, they can feel the laughter and the energy around them, which makes them want to laugh more, things like that. And obviously... A bad environment for not spreading germs and disease. So yeah, all of that's pretty much on hold. I have seen a little bit from comic friends of mine on the internet about doing like satellite comedy shows, you know, live streaming and stuff like that. And I'll tell you, because of all the things that I just mentioned, the conditions that are conducive to stand-up comedy, it's it's going to be difficult to to really get a good gauge out of that, to really get good vibes. It's just going to make... It seemed like everybody that's doing that sucks when they probably wouldn't if they were in the ideal environment, you know, which is people in a low ceiling, dark room, intoxicated, sitting next to people, you know, enjoying themselves. And if you are within those ideal settings and you can't get people to laugh, you just might suck. It's, I don't know, it's possible. I mean, either that or maybe you're, you know not their cup of tea, you know, maybe you're in a very political state and you are expressing opinions contrary to theirs. That can hinder things quite a bit. But yeah, that's the first thing. So goes without saying I don't have any shows coming up. Bummer. Um, and actually, I have a few friends that have had up to two months worth of shows canceled. And it was interesting kind of seeing the way things went and I'll be completely honest about it because basically uh things changed so drastically so quickly that I remember uh there was a show that was supposed to be coming up 
where uh, at the Spokane Comedy Club, which is a club that I work with uh, the most, like my home club, they were supposed to have, I think it was not last weekend, but the weekend before, they were supposed to have Brian Posehn, right? He was supposed to be there that weekend. Brian Posehn can uh, canceled, so they got Gabriel Rutledge. Gabriel, Gabriel Rutledge did his weekend, and then that was the last weekend they were able to do. Uh, and they already were canceling and rescheduling the ones for that going forward. Uh, Todd Berry canceled that Sunday, so they just closed the club because it was so short notice for them to be able to get a different show going. Uh, and then from there on, they rescheduled to have Andrew Rivers do a weekend because the person that they had booked for that following weekend had dropped out. And then, you know, obviously there was all the state of emergencies and everything, so boom, that's all shut down. And I remember having a, a momentary thought like, oh man, this is my opportunity, you know, because what you were seeing uh, for the shows was a, probably a, a fairly natural progression. When the shows were canceled, uh, more local headliners, you know, headliners that could afford to make the trip, you know, from Seattle, Tacoma, whatever, uh, over to our neck of the woods were being scheduled because, you know, it's an opportunity for them to do a weekend that they wouldn't have otherwise had an opportunity to do, like Gabriel Rutledge, because he lives in Seattle as well, from my understanding, and uh, Andrew Rivers. So then I was thinking to myself, man, a lot of these people bring their features as well, so maybe this is an opportunity for me to get a feature or whatever, and then, uh, yeah... It all got shut down. Not that anyone inquired with me about featuring to begin with, but I remember having that thought. And it's not that I was trying to take advantage of a tragedy or whatever. It's just, you know, when opportunities arise, you rise to the occasion, really. But, bummer, didn't work out. And then beyond that, um, it was weird because I live in North Idaho, and Idaho in general was one of the last four states, I think, to have any reported cases of it. So it was kind of like living like in a bubble where you could see everything that was going on around you and it wasn't impacting you. The only thing really that was impacting us uh, was the toilet paper thing because my wife was uh, was uh, talking to her mom, you know, and her mom was like, yeah, people are buying up all the toilet paper. I don't know why. I know it's weird and dumb, but you should probably go get some. So we went to Costco and we got another thing of it, even though we had just bought a thing of it. And then, yeah. There was tons of people there with carts full of toilet paper, and I was like, this is insanity. And But it was weird, though, because, like, again, you think of the fact that at that time there wasn't even re any reported cases in our state. You know, this is still the way the people were acting. But compared to a lot of other places, apparently, you know, we reacted a lot more calm than other areas. Because, I, I mean, I was seeing things on the news of crazy things, shelves being cleared out, fights erupting over silly things like a you know, thing of paper towels or napkins. And I didn't, I mean, I really didn't realize that wiping our asses was so, were so important, you know, but obviously that's where we're at. Like 2020, you know, ass wiping. Cause I remember back in, uh, Y2K or whatever, that people were kind of losing their minds or whatever, but for the most part, the people that were preparing were, you know, getting water, canned foods, that kind of stuff, the, the kind of logical things, maybe get some guns. I don't know. And, um, but this time, just toilet paper, that's all you need. And I don't really get it, but I find it entertaining. I'll just say that. It has been a good kind of thing for memes and jokes and things like that to come out of. But obviously, we're in the thick of it. So you can make fun of it now. 
Uh, but it's better to make fun of these kinds of things in retrospect. But I will say, I mean, I've jumped on, made some memes, messed around, you know, taking advantage of that silliness. But yeah, then eventually we did get a case here. And I went to the store just to get a couple of things. Uh, we were going to go get some yeast so that we can make our own bread. Because apparently bread was a thing that people were really worried about going, you know, going away or whatever. Which we have bread, but you know, whatever. Um, plus... My wife made this decision. She knew that the schools were going to be closed down, and they did get closed down. So she made this decision. She she didn't know how long it was going to be, and she didn't want our kids just sitting around playing video games all day and vegetating, you know? And obviously, you know, we don't want them being exposed to things potentially as well. So she basically came up with like a kind of pseudo-school regimen for them of kind of like real-life things we can teach them. So it's been kind of interesting. We've been teaching our 14-year-old about, like, budgeting and things like that, right? Uh, so basically we had him do up, like, a mock budget, you know, based upon the kind of job he thinks he'll be able to get and how much he'll get and what kind of car that he wants and things like that. So we can see how much, you know, in terms of sheer numbers, he would have to pay out versus what he makes and how he can realistically make a budget within those criterias so that was fun and interesting uh we also went my wife likes to sew so we went and we got fabric and stuff like that and we're gonna uh have our kids kind of design and and sew their own clothing which is mostly going to be my wife because she's the one who actually knows how to do it so that'll be cool uh today i went out and talked to them about like car maintenance and things like that talked to them about uh the different fluids and how to replace these different things and how to make sure that you are keeping up on everything that that needs to be kept up with and i came to realize that i was low on oil our other car is low on oil one of the tires is low so obviously i'm not adhering to my own advice but i mean it was good that we did and we've been doing things like that we're also going to have uh on the agenda there's cooking classes today we did tie-dye shirts which completely flopped uh we were going to do these things called uh bleach tie-dye which is where you take like an actual color shirt you know whether that be black orange whatever what have you uh usually black is what people do and then you twist it up like you would tie-dye but then you pour bleach on it and then it makes like a reverse kind of tie-dye effect which we've done in the past uh, but this time around when we did it, apparently we were using a bleach that it was color safe, you know? So we poured it all over them and they didn't change colors at all. So we do have another one, though, after wasting all of that bleach. Uh, we have another bleach that's just great value, you know, the Walmart brand. So I would highly doubt that it would be uh, color safe, especially since it doesn't say that it is. With the other one, it didn't say it was color safe either, but it said you uh, you can do a color test which is where you pour it on that particular article of clothing if it doesn't change colors and you know that that article of clothing is color safe which seems like a stupid way of testing something it's like hey okay hey, uh, go ahead and pour it on there and if it doesn't ruin it then you know it won't ruin it it's like ah oh, perfect yeah what a good plan stupid but yeah so we did that so we're gonna have to go back through and, and pour the other bleach on there and we'll see how that turns out should be pretty cool but yeah, that's what we've been that's what we've been, up, we've been up to. That's how we're dealing with the impending doom, you know. And we do technically have cases in Idaho now, but not in the northern part of Idaho, which is where we live. So that's kind of interesting too, because you can see the impact it's having on people. You can see people walking around with masks, but technically there isn't an actual case out there. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people that are sick. They just didn't haven't gone to the hospital or 
or anything like that. So I don't know. It's hard to know the appropriate level of concern you should have for these kinds of things. But you should be cautious either way. You know? But yeah. All that said, that's that's kind of where we're all at in terms of life. I've just kind of been watching everything from an outside perspective, trying to make light of it while still taking the necessary precautions so that we don't lose our minds. Because one thing I can say about me and my wife, we, I mean, she's a wor warrior in a lot of ways, but she can definitely rise to the occasion in instances like this. Because we have friends, you know, and we expected actually her mom to be a lot more freaked out too. And she is freaked out, but she's been pretty good about it too. So I think they're very strong women and they can rise to the occasion, which is awesome. Because my wife has a friend that is losing her mind. She just can't handle it, you know. She's just doom and gloom freaking out. She's reading into every, like, conspiracy theory that people are putting out. They're like... They're doing this to try to assassinate Trump. No, no. They're doing this to try to assassinate some key political figures in in Hollywood or whatever that know about the pedophile ring that's going on. Like, there's all kinds of crazy uh, conspiracy theories going around and everything. Uh, and everyone's also trying to use it to kind of further their political agenda, which I think is funny. Like, uh, Trump was talking about... Uh, sending out checks to people you know since people are out of work and things like that and then i have my friends being like yeah you know what that's called that's called socialism yeah you enjoy that when it's working for you huh but then you don't want to put bernie in office blah 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 blah, blah. and i'm just like i don't think that's the same as socialism i think it's a it's a you know crisis relief kind of thing but sure, I mean, it's the government helping people out, but I wouldn't exactly call that socialism. Socialism is a very specific structure, you know. There's a reason why it's given a name. It's because it's created in a certain way, you know. And it's very different than this. There's still capitalism, even if they are helping people in this particular instance. And I will say that I've been seeing people making like GoFundMes and stuff like that for employees that are out of work and things like that, which I get and I understand. But there's a lot more people than than whatever business that GoFundMe was was put up for, you know. And all of us are feeling kind of the strain and the hurt, so it's it's hard really to prioritize one person over or one person or group above another. I just think we need to be there to support each other in general. And then not even necessarily financially, you know, like if we can, I don't know, just help each other out in whatever way that we can. It's easy for me to say while I'm held, <laughs> held up in my house with my, you know, supply of toilet paper while other people are, you know, rubbing their butts on trees or whatever they're doing. I would figure that most people are just showering every time they take a crap, which also would make me not want to poop very often. It would just make me want to hold it in. So, not that I don't enjoy showers, I just don't want to take three a day just because I happen to take a couple craps, you know? Which, I guess that math wouldn't exactly equal out, but you guys get what I'm saying. But, despite all of this, the episode that we're going to have is is a lot more lighthearted than that, believe it or not. And it's actually not very comical, not that this has been comical up to this point necessarily anyways. Uh, but this particular episode, I'm actually going to talk about my grandma. Uh, I was thinking about her because of uh, National Women's Appreciation Month or whatever it's called. 
I could have looked it up. I could have looked it up on the episode too, so I'd know for sure. Um, but yeah, because of posts that people were making and things like that, I started thinking about women in my life. And she had a, a very unique story that I felt was very interesting. And I researched it quite a bit. I talked to my mom. I considered talking to my uncle, but uh, decided against it just for the sake of the fact that I just wanted to get the episode recorded. So... But yeah, I told her story about a very kind of cool situation that happened with her, which you may have already been clued in with the title of the episode. But yeah, uh, hopefully it can distract you guys from, you know, some of the crazier things that are going on right now. And uh, you can just kind of get detached from that for a little bit and enjoy a kind of fun, lighthearted story. Uh, I appreciate you guys coming out and listening, and uh, hey, maybe I'll release more episodes than normal, since I'm all cooped up in my house, like the rest of you guys. Alright, talk to you in a minute. Hey everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Bee Hood Podcast. I am your host, Jaboy Brian Hood, uh, and we are back at it again with a solo episode. Before I get into the details, though, of the episode, I uh, just wanted to let you know the Bee Hood Podcast is a couple of different things. First of all, it's your way of keeping up with me and my life in and outside of com comedy. Dang, I can't say words right now. And secondly... It's a storytelling podcast. I personally conducted extensive scientific research, and I came to the conclusion that every single person in the world, in fact, had a childhood. And each one of those childhoods contained their own unique experiences. Now, we've branched out from that a bit. We, we talk about a lot of stories that are outside of childhood as well, but that's kind of where we got started. And... Um, but now we've kind of used it as a way to just kind of open up and talk to people, discuss different topics, things like that. But, I mean, kind of the general consensus and what we seem to go back to is uh, stories. Because I've always enjoyed stories. Ever since I was really little, uh, hearing them, it's always been something that I was a big fan of, and I'm, I'm a big fan of telling as well. Uh, the rules of the podcast, though, are pretty simple. Be open, be honest, and above all else, just be you. So... I'll do my best to follow those rules going forward. Uh, this is going to be a solo episode, like I mentioned before. The solo episodes have been changing a little bit as of recently. Um, it used to be where I would just tell one of my stories, but my longer stories I've told most of, and I might revisit them at some point, but I don't really want to repeat myself too much. So I've been delving a little bit on topics that interest me, things like that. And this is this particular episode is less of a topject topic as more of it is of a subject, and the subject of this podcast is actually uh, my grandmother Naomi Fraley. Um, now, before I get into the actual story uh, that we're going to be going over, um, I'll just kind of explain my uh, familiarity with my grandmother up until this point. Uh, one thing you should know about my family is that my family, we are the kind of family where we, I don't know, this is going to sound weird, but this is just my own particular take on it. We don't really value family all that much. 
when I was growing up, most of the family that I interacted with was my immediate family. You know, my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, and that's about it. Most of the relatives that I met outside of that were in like very brief kind of fleeting moments. We had a reunion I think we went to one time when my dad came back from the Desert Storm War. Uh, we made a few trips to California to meet or to hang out with my dad's family. And I met my mom's family a couple of times in like um, Vegas and Oklahoma. Actually, no, it was my dad's family in Oklahoma. But basically what I'm saying is it was, we, we didn't really interact with family all that much. So most of my memories of different family members were meeting them in kind of brief moments, not a lot of time spent. So I wasn't very familiar with them. And um, our subject, the person in question in this episode, was my grandma on my mom's side. Now, she's not my biological grandma. Uh, she actually married my grandfather when they were uh, both in their uh, later years in life. And I think my mom was already an adult. So when I did meet her, she was uh, older. So was my uh, grandfather. And the thing I remember, and this is going to sound a little bit um, childish, but that's because it was. I was a child at the time. Uh, the thing I remembered about her was that she didn't have eyebrows and that she drew them on and that she drew on her eyebrows way above where the eyebrows would normally be on the face. You know, where they would have grown naturally on a human being's face, she had drawn them quite a bit above that. <clears throat> and I remember thinking that that was kind of silly. But outside of that, I don't have a whole lot um, that I that I knew about her. Um, another kind of thing about my family is, and this is probably a thing about a lot of people's family, is most of the things that I knew about my family members were whatever negativity you could derive from them, because that's the kind of thing that people would gossip about. So I knew all of my aunts or uncles that were gay or bisexual or drug addicts or alcoholics or whatever, right? Because that's the thing that people always wanted to share. They always want to share the most negative things about people. So I just remember thinking that when I would meet them, I'd be like, okay, this is the gay one, uh, this is the lesbian one. And again, childish thoughts, but that's that's what people had told me about them. That's what I knew about them, you know? And that's that's kind of the lens that I would look at them through. And the interesting thing is I never heard anything about Naomi. I just heard that she was, you know, a sweet lady. And then I met her in Vegas when I was still very little, and she was very sweet. And I remember that trip to Vegas... Uh, was pretty interesting because that's when I was still little. And the thing I remember most about Vegas was we did go through casinos. We weren't allowed out on the floor, really. We just had to go through to whatever room we were staying in. And that was back before everything was done with credits, you know, and those little cards you slide into the machine. So there was actually coins that would come out of these machines. And I didn't even realize that at the time. I just knew that they gave away free cups because that's what the cups were for. The cups had the casinos like name on it and everything and that was to collect up your coins and move to the next you know slot machine or whatever you were doing right and I remember thinking that was amazing grabbing these stacks of free cups and being like oh my gosh free cups and I remember you could get free soda or something while you were there too and I mean I didn't realize at the time it was because you know they want you to not leave they want you just to give you everything the kind of basic things that you need so that you'll stay at the machine until you spend all of your money Fairly logical, if you think about it. 
And I also remember me and my brother went to the restroom one time, and we walked into this restroom, and right there on the counter was this huge thing of matches. Just this giant thing of hundreds and hundreds of matches. And I think me and my brother at the time were like, you know six and eight or something like that and i just remember we filled our pockets to the brim with matches so excited about these matches and then we get back to the hotel room and we start piling them out like on the bed or something like that or on a on a, a counter or something and our parents were like what the hell why do you have matches because obviously we were children not supposed to play with matches play with fire all that kind of fun stuff so i remember them taking them all away from us and i think uh, yes, this is what happened. They took them all away from us, so we were really disappointed because we wanted to play with fire. And, uh, and then when we got home, they just stuck them all in a junk drawer in our kitchen, which we could reach. You know, we weren't toddlers. So we would still just take out the matches and play with them anytime we felt like it. I remember multiple times with, of my brother sitting at the table with, like, a, a dinner plate, just lighting match after match and dropping them onto the plate afterwards to let them burn out. Yeah, we got into some trouble with that. But those are the couple things that I really remember. And then I remember meeting uh, my uh, my grandpa and Naomi as well. Uh, and my grandpa, I remember a little bit more vividly because um, he would tell me stories. And I remember his stories were great uh, in my recollection. Because I remember just being really interested in anything he had to say. Uh, I might have been one of the only ones that was, because I don't re I don't recall my my brother and sister really being intrigued by him the way that I was. But I remember at one point we went to like their mobile that they lived at or something like that. We might have been staying with them at the time. I don't remember exactly, and I don't even think this was in Vegas. I don't know where this was, but I just remember following him around so that he could tell me stories while he was gardening or whatever. And he had told me a couple of different stories, but these are the two that I remember most vividly. Uh, he told me that when he was back in school, uh, they didn't have urinals. And actually, in the first school that I went to in called J.R. Barron in Louisiana, it was the same way. Uh, they had these troughs that were like pools, right? Or not pools. What the hell am I talking about? They were like bathtubs, right? Just this long bathtub that everyone would stand shoulder to shoulder and pee into with no dividers or whatever, right? And... At the time, that was normal. Now that I think back about it, I think it's pretty gross. I, you know, not that you can see people's wiener or whatever. It's like, that's whatever. Don't look at people's junk. That's fine. But just the fact that everything's just, everyone's just peeing into this open bathtub or whatever all next to each other. You don't know, it just didn't seem very sanitary. But I remember they did have that in my school. And I remember one time that um, we were trying to see... This is how gross we were. Uh, the door that went into the bathroom, it didn't have a door that closed on it that I remember. It just had like a, a wall that blocked off being able to see that you had to walk around, kind of like how a lot of airports are. And I remember the wall didn't go all the way up to the ceiling. It was like cut off at some point. It was just a slab uh, cement wall. And I remember one time we were trying to pee over the top of the wall into the trough on the other side. Because that's how disgusting little boys can be sometimes. We were trying to challenge each other to piss over this wall into this trough bathtub thingy. Which I don't know that we were ever successful in doing. We probably just peed all over the wall and all over the floor and then went back to class. Like a bunch of little assholes. But I remember my grandpa talking about how one time he was being, he was in like, I think he said third grade or something like that. And he had uh, like a group of like three fifth graders that were like picking on him. He was walking along with his 
uh, books in his hand and they were giving him a hard time for whatever reason and like pushing him and stuff. And I think he stood up for himself at some point, like told him to shut up or something like that. So they grabbed his books out of his hand and they took off running and they ran all the way into the bathroom and they chucked his books into one of those urinal troughs and just soaked them in nasty pee water, right? And he told me he raged out and he fought all three of these five-year-olds and beat the crap out of all three of them and then grabbed his books out, rinsed them off, and went home. Now, obviously, people like to exaggerate stories that might not have been exactly how things went or whatever, but I remember to little me just thinking, wow, he's super tough, like... They don't, they don't make, you know, men like this anymore. They can fight three guys that are, you know, years older than him and beat the crap out of all of them. But that's kind of how his stories were. And that's how I feel like men's stories were back in the day. It was just, it was all about, you know, teaching men how to be tough and how to, you know, rise above whatever the situation was. And I remember that's what his stories were like. And there was another one that was a lot like that. Uh, he was talking about how he was in the Navy and uh, he was on a aircraft carrier when he was in the Navy. And some guy, I guess, was like just messing with him or something like that. Or they were in some kind of like uh, peacocking situation where they were like trying to one up each other and everything. And at some point, and I don't know if it was his idea or that guy's idea. I think it was that guy's idea. He said, uh, I bet you won't jump off the side of the of the aircraft carrier. And if you know anything about aircraft carriers, they are not close to the water. They're like cruise ships. They're like way up there, like a pretty drastic amount uh, of distance before it gets down to the water. And instantly my grandpa was like, I'll do it. And he was like, I'll do it if you do it. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll do it. And they're like, on three. And count one, two, three. And my grandpa jumps off. And this other guy does not jump off. He chickened out. So my grandpa, the way he told me the story, he was just sailing through the air for like an ungodly amount of time. Just like uncomfortable amount of travel time flying off of this aircraft carrier. And then he said when he hit the water, it hurt him. Like it felt like he got like punched by the water. Like just really wrecked him. And... um and of course, you know, they were like man overboard and blah, blah, blah. And he was in big trouble and they had to have some uh, someone come out and like grab him and everything. And I remember the the biggest deal about all of it jumping off of it was that his shoes came off somehow. Like when he hit the water, just the sheer force of him crashing into this water just ripped his shoes right off his feet. And he didn't have his shoes, you know, which back in the, in, in, uh, at that time, and maybe even now, shoes were like a big deal. Like you had to have your shoes like perfectly shined and kept and everything. That was part of like how they trained you to um, take pride in your appearance and, and in a job well done and things like that. Shoes were part of it. So he was in a really big trouble for losing these shoes. And he told me that they had a Navy SEAL, someone who could hold their breath for like six, seven minutes, go and get his shoes for him, swim down and find his shoes and get them for him so that he could get them cleaned up and put them back on. 
Which again, I mean, I don't know how much of this is actually all accurate or whatever, but I just remember being so amazed by that when I was little. I was just like, wow, you had the guts to jump off of this huge boat, and then there was a guy on your ship that was like, could hold his breath for long enough to go get your shoes. That's crazy. And those were the couple of stories that I remember from him pretty vividly. And this was the man that Naomi uh, had married, um, my grandfather. And... Um, his last name was Fraley. It was Charles Fraley. And uh, so she was Naomi Fraley. And that's pretty much the extent that I knew about her, that was that she was married to him. That's about all that I knew. Um, but through the years, uh, with the advent of Facebook and things like that, I was able to connect with family in, in a way that I hadn't before, which is basically just knowing them at all, you know, having a uh, kind of communication with them, even if it's not necessarily direct, just seeing their posts and, thing, and things like that. And my mom's brother, Johnny, started doing these posts about um, Naomi, just talking about her. And it was really interesting stuff uh, because, like, I didn't know anything about her, so I was intrigued anyways. It's cool later in life to learn something, some, learn some things about someone that you had really not had a lot of opportunities to get to know. Not that I couldn't have. I'm sure if I had contacted her, she would talk to me. Uh, she was a very sweet lady, from my understanding, uh, with everything that I found about her. But I didn't really know um, a lot about her, so it was fun to see that. And just like my mother, Johnny was her, her stepchild, step yes, stepson, but he was he was very nice to, to her. He took care of her and things like that. And like I I've watched like YouTube videos that he made uh, about her and things like that. So he was definitely uh, loved her and and all of that. But he connected me with her story, which is what we're going to go over uh, right now. And I've I've seen it written in a lot of different ways, uh, in a lot of different articles and things like that. Um, but basically, the uh, framing of it is, is that my uh, grandmother, Naomi Parker Fraley, was the inspiration for uh, Rosie, of, uh, Rosie the Riveter, uh, which was, I think it was a song? We're going to go over those details in, in a moment. But I believe it was a song initially, and then there was a poster, a very famous poster, that said we can do it on it. And that's specifically what she was the inspiration for was this poster uh, from this artist, which again, we're going to talk over in, in, in more detail. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting story. Uh, so I'm going to go over that right now. Uh, I am reviewing someone else's story because I was making a lot of notes about it, but I kind of like the flow of this particular story. So I may pause and, and, and make my comments in between and things like that. But I like the way that it was written, and I feel like it has all those details in there that, I, that are important to the story. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. So when the men of America were called to duty for World War II, the women were called to fill the gaping hole left in the homeland workforce. Production of ammunition, weapons, military vehicles, and airplanes uh, shifted into high gear, and the women flooded into factories to work. Uh, at that time, when when few women uh, even had a driver's license and very few of them worked outside the home, so just an interesting time uh, because, like, I'm sure it's no, um, 
you know, no one, no one's a stranger to how different things were for women back then. You know, it was a very kind of traditional thing. Um, and I mean, obviously things are, are better in that sense. They have more opportunities, which is awesome, but it was just completely, uh, completely different time. Uh, and it was during these times that young Naomi Parker, so that was her name at the time, uh, her maiden name, and she actually had had two husbands previous to uh, my grandfather, so she's got she'd had multiple last names, but her uh, maiden name, the very first one, was Parker. Uh, then 20 years old, was encouraged by her father to do her part uh, to serve the country and join the uh, war effort. Uh, she was more than eager to oblige. Uh, with her father as her escort, Naomi applied for a job at the Alameda, Alameda Naval Air Station. Now, one thing it doesn't mention in the story that I thought was actually pretty interesting is that what initiated this particular war, World War II, which I'm sure some of you already knew, but I, I liked that part of the story, was the attack on Pearl Harbor, which was, you know, this crazy thing that had never happened before on, on U.S. soil that sparked everything off. So at the time, people were feeling really patriotic and trying to do everything they could for their country. So she was more than willing to go and help out in any way that she could. So soon after... Uh, United Press International came to the Alameda Naval Air, Air Station to produce an article on how women should dress in the workplace for safety. Naomi was photographed uh, working at a lathe in her polka dot bandana. Both uh, she and her sister uh, Wynne, I think that's how you pronounce it, were featured on the front pages, front pages across the country. At the top of the page, Naomi was shown properly dressed for work beside her sister Wynne, who was obviously dressed for beauty. Below the photo uh, was captioned with their names and the text, the clothing policy hadn't made Naomi Parker any less attractive. So that gives you a little bit of a insight in how they read articles back then. It was all about the appearance of, of women, you know, not that it isn't today, but it's much more obvious that they're just like, yeah, she's still pretty. Like that was the important thing to derive from that photo. Um, and Naomi clipped the photo out from the newspaper and stored it away in her hope chest. Uh, where it spent decades long forgotten. Her iconic bandana, bandana would later appear on the We Can Do It poster produced by Howard J. Miller as part of a morale-boosting campaign for Westinghouse electric workers in 1942. Further research proved that Miller, the artist, often used images in the media as inspiration for the final touches of his work. Uh, in the book Rosie the Riveter, by Penny Coleman. Penny Coleman stated the artist used to live, used live models and made composites from multiple images he found in magazines and newspapers. That was his style. For more than 70 years, the iconic image of the lady in the pol polka dot bandana and all it came to represent has been in, uh, inspiring women around the globe to excel in the workplace. With flexed muscles, she has been a constant reminder that we can do it. So that's what it says on the poster, obviously. And uh, and I actually knew about this poster, and I knew that it was it was something about you know feminism or something, but I didn't know exactly what it rep represented. But now I know a bit more about that, which is pretty cool. Uh, and during our research for this story, we searched hundreds of photos of women working in factories across the country. Naomi's photo was the only one we could find touting the famous red polka dot bandana. A bandana she told us she remembered buying from a local five and dime. 
For many years, this photo was mistakenly identified as a photo of a lady named Geraldine Hoff Doyle performing her job in a factory in Michigan, a job she held briefly after graduating high school. She saw the photo of the lady at the Lays in 1984 in a copy of Modern Maturity magazine and assumed she saw herself. It later came to light that Doyle was still attending high school in March of 1942 when the photo was taken and published. Due to Doyle's case of mistaken identity, she was honored uh, for decades in the media outlets across the country in the Rosie, of, uh, Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historic Park and many other places. Upon her death, her um, obituary ran in the papers across the country many of which included a photo of the lady in the polka dot bandana working at the lathe with her name under the photo. In 2019, Naomi Parker Fraley and her sister Ada Wynn uh, Loy, uh, in their 80s then, visited the Rosie of... Riv uh, of Man, I can never pronounce that correctly. Rosie the Riveter, World War II, Home National Historic Park in Richmond, California, for a convention of Rosies. So this is actually one of the most interesting things about it. About it, these were women who worked uh, in the war or in the war trade during World War II, which she was part of, obviously. And it was during this visit that Naomi realized that her likeness has been had been credited to Geraldine Hoff Doyle. Uh, a park uh, display, uh, a park display featured the photo of a lady at the lathe in the polka dot bandana side-by-side side with the We Can Do It poster, implying that the poster was the inspiration for the photo. However, the photo captioned the name Geraldine Hoff Doyle as the lady at the lathe. The sisters were shocked to realize that not only had Naomi been the subject of such a famous photo, but her identity was credited to someone else. They immediately brought this misrepresentation to the attention of the park curator. Because so many media outlets had already published the photo naming Geraldine as the subject, the curator at the park was left in a very awkward position that day. Understanding that their claim would be proving to correct the matter, this industrious duo returned... Uh, returned home to retrieve their original newspaper clippings from the hope chest and sent it to the park to prove their claim. The true identity of the lady at the lathe in the iconic polka dot bandana was finally indisputably proven in print when James, uh, when James J. Kimball, a professor in the College of, uh, in College of Communication and Arts at uh, Stetton Hall University in New Jersey spent years conducting a study tracing the roots of the Rosie of Riverette and the history of Doyle's claim, as well as it's portrayed in the media. As well as, well as it's portrayed in the media. Kimball uh, studiously tracked down the original photo in the archive of the Acme News photograph and uh, finding it aged. The original photo caption, captions still... Oh, dang, hang on. I'm switching pages here. The original photographer's caption tag still attached to the back of the photo. Um, photo at the lathe, Naomi Park Frailer, Alameda, California, as the subject of the photo. Kimber's, Kimber's resulting journal on the matter titled Rosie's Secret Identity or How to Debunk a Woozle by Walking Backwards Through the Forest of Visual heroic visual rhetoric i don't even know how to pronounce that 
I thought that was a very cool thing. It almost sounds like um, like Dr. Seuss. How to debunk a woozle by walking backwards through a for forest of visual rhetoric. That's what it is, rhetoric. How to debunk a woozle by walking backwards through the forest of visual rhetoric. I like that. Um, that was what was that again? In his journal on the matter. I need to go. I need to read that journal. That actually sounds pretty interesting. He sounds like an interesting dude. Uh, was published published in 2016, igniting a new media craze that finally accurately identified Naomi Parker Fraley as the iconic lady at the lathe in the polka dot bandana. Uh, the term Rosie the Riveren, I have said it wrong again. Rosie the Riveter was first used in 1942 in a song written by Red Evans and John Jacob Loeb. Her likeness first appeared on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post on May 29, 1943, in an illustration by the famous Norman Rockwell. Uh, Mary Doyle Keefe, a 19-year-old phone operator from Arlington, Virginia, was the model for Rockwell's cover. Mary was also a special guest at Sotheby's when the when they auctioned Rockwell's painting of the cover, Rosie the Riveter, on May 23, 2002. Sure. And, um... Mm -hmm, I am. And, uh... Sorry, that was a kid walking by. I'm at, I'm at my home studio. I don't even remember where we were. Oh, yeah. The painting was sold for $4.9 million uh, to the Elliott Yearly Gallery in Colorado which is pretty insane, pretty crazy, back in 2002. Uh, the Rosie the Riveter character is an American icon that represents all the female wartime workers of World War II. Although her jobs and duties, uh, jobs and duties with the uh, Riveter, her can-do attitude and her young life uh, epitomized this famous character. Okay, I think I read that wrong. Although her jobs and duties with the Riveter her can okay, yeah, I think that was right. Naomi has never claimed to be the inspiration behind it. On the contrary, during the interview, uh, during an interview, she adamantly stated, Rosie was all of us. Everyone was excited to work for the country, and we all held up a hand and said we can do it. Naomi and her sister Wynn uh, went on to live very meaningful lives and eventually became ordained ministers. Uh, Naomi has a musical background. Uh, she would sing songs and write poetry. Uh, some of Naomi's work and more details about her trailblazing can be enjoyed online. Um, after the truth of the famous uh, lady at the lathe photo came to light, uh, Naomi's stepson, uh, the sister's daily caregiver, John Fraley, that's my uncle, my mom's brother, launched a website introducing the ladies the stories behind the photo, and all and the, all that has resulted thus far, which you guys can check out at uh, NaomiParkerFraley.com, Naomi which I actually, I pretty much looked at everything on there, which I thought was really cool. Uh, they still update it occasionally, it looks like. Uh, the unforgettable siblings uh, went on to move uh, and live together in Reddington, California, and... Uh, they spent their days singing, praying, writing. Um, they got to read a lot of cool stuff and watch things about their newfound fame. Uh, and 
they were very active in their church and continued to minister and inspire. Um, now, um, during this interview that I'm referring to, that they're referring to in this, um, they asked Naomi, um, as a face of, of the iconic We Can Do It poster that has inspired women for generations, what would you advise, what, what um, advice do you have that you would share with the young women of today? Uh, and her reply portrays all the strength that the poster represents and reveals the wisdom and uh, worthy of an icon. After careful consideration, she concluded the interview with these words. And they were quite a few of them. You stand at the crossroads of life and look upon the future. You have a long time ahead, and it's your right to choose the road that you wish to walk on. One uh, road is darkness, and its influences are many. They beckon you for destruction and will drag you down. If you entertain them, I drag you down if you entertain them. Uh, it will cause you to despise yourself for the way that you are walking. The other road is one of love and charity and cleanliness of mind, peace, sweet and forgiving. It is the way in which you feel good about yourself. You are uniquely created. There is no one created exactly like you. You are an individual mold and you have your own talents and gifts. The road of light also beckons you on and it is fulfilling. I speak this word in capital letters. Honor. Use it. Honor the Lord, parents and country, military and community, friends and all. You will feel good about yourself and it will show you in your actions and on your face and happiness will follow. In this age, you have been given many great opportunities before you. Go forth, learn as much as you can. You are a treasure, and the world awaits you. Now, when I first read that, I thought it was very sweet. Um, she just seems like an all-around sweet lady. I watched a lot of videos of her responding to fan mail and fan art and things like that of all the... Um, women and little girls that looked up to her and her sister and they were just always very sweet uh, I listened to a few of her songs which you can find online as well and I thought they were also very sweet and she definitely uh, held uh, God and the Lord in a high regard and um, I'm a Christian myself though I'm not the best one you know I have my flaws just like everyone else um but yeah, it actually kind of made me tear up a little bit when I read the words. And the funny thing was, is I was actually trying to look for a quote from her throughout the multiple articles at one point, and I didn't come across this particular statement that was uh, in this interview. So I thought that that was very cool. And I felt inspired to share the story because, I mean, obviously I have a unique kind of situation with the fact that she was um, my grandma, but... Uh, it was also because of the fact that I knew so little about her. I was learning so much about her, just like everyone else that was reading these articles. You know, I knew who she was, I knew her name, I knew her face, and and all of that. But I knew so little about her experiences in life. So it's just a fun thing that all of that kind of was filled in. Uh, now, unfortunately, she she did pass away, but she was she was you know she lived to be 
98, I think it was. So, I mean, a very uh, good amount of time spent on the world, or spent in the world. Um, but yeah, she she has passed, but her um, legacy lives on, obviously, in, in the poster that her photo inspired, and then also the people that are inspired by um, not only that photo and the things that it's became, but also the things that she's done in her actual life and the things that she represents. So I thought that was very cool. Um, so I thought I would dedicate an episode to her since that was what was uh, really on my mind these past couple of weeks. And it actually seemed appropriate as well because I believe it's like women's... Gosh, I wish I, I probably should have made a note about it. But it's like National Women's Recognition Month or something like that. Because uh, that's actually what brought it all up, is I was seeing all these posts about, uh, you know, who are the inspiring women in your life and stuff like that. And then she pops into my head, because this was a, a few years ago. This was back in, I think, 2018, that they were kind of figuring this all out and really uh, getting an understanding of all of this. Actually, it says it was back in 2016 that uh, Kimball was uh, writing his journal and everything. So it was a while back that all of this happened, then she had a little bit of time afterwards that she got to interact with fans and things like that before she passed away. So, yeah, just a fun thing. And that brings us to the end of that particular story. If you guys want to know more about it, like I said, you can go to NaomiParkerFraley.com. You can uh, look up Naomi, Naomi Parker Fraley. You can see multiple articles by the New York Times and just all kinds of different news outlets that all kind of did their own independent research. I read most of those, and they have uh, interesting things to say as well. And you can find uh, YouTube videos of her as well later in life, you know, before she passed away, obviously. Um, kind of responding to, to all those things. Um, but I did want to thank you guys for coming out and listening to the podcast. I really do enjoy uh, doing the podcast, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, if you do, if you want to drop a, uh, a rating and a review... Uh, that's definitely something that's going to show anybody that could potentially stumble across it that it's something worth listening to and uh, taking in. And also, tell someone about it. Let them know that, you know, it's something that you enjoy and that they might possibly enjoy as well. You know, that's the only way really that it's going to grow is through, you know, word of mouth and positive feedback. Uh, and speaking of feedback, if you have any feedback for me, you know, any any stories you want to share with me, any critiques, criticisms, uh, you can email me at behoodpodcast at gmail.com. Um, but until next time, above all else, just be you. <laughs>